So good to be together. You know, there's not really a good uh, substitute uh, for being with uh, church family. And so we've gotten or had to experience that the last couple of weeks. And, I, you know, there's live stream stuff. We did that for a time. Uh, and, and just, you know, we, we haven't uh, reinstated that. If stuff gets really bad, we said we'll reinstate that again. But there's really not a substitute for being together with God's people, people that you are knowing or getting to know, and, and hopefully we can be an encouragement to one another. Just an encouragement. Uh, you know, I just missed hearing voices singing, to hear a bunch of people who, like, not every circumstance in their life is well, uh, but it is well with our soul. So we sing that loudly together. So good uh, to be together with you uh, doing that, and uh, hopefully we all appreciate just the privilege that that is. Um, uh, Open up to Philippians chapter 4. We have been this summer going through the book of Philippians. We're almost done with the book. Then we'll get back to our series in the book of Acts. That is a much longer series, but it seemed good to take a break from that for the summer and do Philippians. We're now today looking at verses 2 through 9. Here's here's a phrase. Uh, You know, I I mentioned the pandemic from the front again because it affected my family, but here's the deal. Uh, A phrase that I've heard from a lot of people lately is this. I thought we were done with this, right? Isn't that kind of how you, like, I thought thought we were done with this. I think that's the way a lot of people feel. You know, not everybody's been infected, but everybody's been affected in some way by this. And so I mentioned to you kind of how it's been uh, affecting us in our home, and that affects all sorts of other stuff as well. One of the things that a pandemic does is it reminds us that our world is broken, right? Disease and death have been dark realities ever since Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. And it makes us, I hope, long for the day when God will dwell with us, wiping away every tear from our eye. When death shall be no more, neither shall there be crying, nor mourning, nor pain anymore. We long for that day, don't we? We're people that say, Amen, come Lord Jesus. And the pandemic also does has done some other things. I think a couple of things that it has revealed maybe in us is conflict and anxiety. Conflict, you know, comes with shifting recommendations and mandates and passionate opinions that have led to tensions not just globally or nationally, but even at family levels. There's all sorts of tension that might exist there in conflict. And even, you know, certainly the church is not immune from that kind of conflict either. And anxiety People have health concerns and are supposed to be on high alert. Anxiety and depression just, just are on the rise nationally. And being a Christian doesn't give you immunity from things like anxiety. So what, what do we need? Well, I know what we don't need is you don't need another guy sharing his opinion about stuff. Uh, so I don't want to be that. I don't want to be another guy sharing my opinion about stuff. There's all sorts of stuff um, that you, if you want opinions, everybody's got them, uh, and you can, you can check them. Uh, like I said a few weeks ago, everybody's, they're like noses. Everybody's got one, and everybody's got a couple holes in them as well, right? Uh, it was better than that. I can't remember what the quote was. Um, but here's the deal. We, we, what we need is we need to be a people molded by God's Word. We want God uh, in His grace and mercy to impact us, that we would be people totally molded by His Word. I'm just thankful for God always providing, uh, I think, a timely and relevant word. The passage we're going to look at today, I can just tell you right off the bat, this was extremely helpful in our own household 
this week. Uh, and so we spent some of our family devotion time just, just dissecting this passage together and working on applying it in our situation, and it was so helpful. And so I hope it'll be helpful for us as we gather together today. Uh, and if you're able to, our custom is we read as we, or we stand as we read the Word of God. So if you could, please stand. Let's pray first. Uh, Father, we just, we humble ourselves before you. As people who are weak and weary and who have fallen short, as people who know that our only hope is in you, as people who are desperately in need of your Spirit's work in our hearts and in our minds right now, would you come and do away with distraction, do away with deception, and, and I pray that we would hear your word clearly. I pray that you would help me to preach it clearly, and I pray that the application of it uh, would bear much fruit uh, for the time to come. In Jesus' name, amen. God's word says this in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. I entreat you, Odiah, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Uh, inside your bulletin is uh, a page uh, with some sermon notes. I put a lot of stuff in there, so there's not a lot of space for you to write. There's a couple of blanks uh, for you to fill in. Maybe you'll find that helpful. Maybe, maybe for you, though, preaching is not so much about taking in information. I'm not giving you a lecture with information. I'm preaching the Word of God in order that we might be transformed by it. So for some of you, just to give you freedom, so you don't feel like I'm a bad Christian if I don't take notes, you don't have to take notes. If that's helpful for you, do it. If you want to just sit and soak this in uh, and allow God to do a work in your mind and heart by listening, go ahead and do that too. I'll have words on the screen for you to follow along uh, so that you don't get lost. But if you brought your Bible with you, it's good to have your eyes on the text. So uh, here's what we've got. Uh, the, the, the context for this, we've been already walking through the book of Philippians. Uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Nick preached in Philippians chapter 3. I love those first verses that really highlight the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. And this, this kind of like high calling and this high thing that God has, has given to us. Yet then Paul in verses 12 and following in chapter 3 said, but we're not there yet, right? We're not, we're not there yet and we all know it. We're not there yet, but we press on. We strain forward. We keep moving ahead, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, reminding ourselves and reminding each other all the time of who we are in Christ. 
right? We are now citizens of heaven, right? So, so we, don't, we don't set our minds on earthly things. That's not how we do it anymore. We, we look at one another. We live together in fellowship with other believers so that we could learn how to walk in the spirit of, of truth, right? We, we, we remind ourselves and one another that we are now citizens of heaven. So we set our minds there and we set our feet firmly knowing that we are deeply loved and that's where we left off in chapter 4 verse 1 and then we get to uh, what seems in some ways like kind of a random string of commandments just so you know this passage that we're looking at today as I count them I saw eight commandments there one of them repeated twice in these verses that we're looking at today so eight verses eight commandments but what I don't want us to miss because some of you, you're, you're like legalists at heart. You have commanders like, great, give me a list. I can do it. No, you can't, right? We, that's the whole idea. We can't do it. And so intermixed with all of these eight commands in this passage, which are good for us, which we want to hear, which we want to obey, are gospel truths that I hope that we hold on to. So let's dive right in. Remember, this was a letter not written to us. It was written to the church in Philippi. This is for us. It's God's word. It's for us. But originally written to this church in Philippi. So we don't know everything that's going on. We know there's a couple ladies in the church that aren't agreeing about something. We don't know anything more about what they're disagreeing about or anything like that. But Paul begins by calling them out. Do you think they're the only two people in the church that have conflict with each other? Probably not. Why does Paul call them out? Well, I think in part because of their uh, key role in the church, which we're going to see here in a little bit, we don't know the nature of their conflict, but there's conflict. And so Paul entreats both of these women to agree in the Lord. And then in verse 3, that's verse 2, in verse 3, he asks the true companion, whether he's referring to somebody in the church or the church as a whole, I think it's the church as a whole, he's asking the church, like, Help these women, right? These two women are having, like they're at odds with each other. Everybody else, help them. That's what the church is supposed to do. Help them, he says. Help these women. And then note this. Who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. I think there's a couple of things we need to pause and note there. One is that women play a counter-culturally key role in the life of the early church. Remember that the first convert in Philippi was an influential woman named Lydia. And now as Paul starts to address people specifically here in the letter, he's entreating Eudaya and Synthke and calling them women who have labored side by side with him in the gospel. Now, we don't see anywhere in the New Testament... God calling women to the role of elder or pastor, right? And so that's not what we do. We don't call women to the role of elder and pastor in our church. Yet we also recognize and value the significant contribution and gifting that God has given to women in order that the church might be built up. And Paul acknowledges that too. There's these women. They've labored side by side with me in the gospel. What exactly they were doing as they labored side by side? Again, he doesn't tell us that, but everybody in the church must already know it. Everybody else in the church also knows that they're disagreeing about something, right? 
It's significant enough that the message has been relayed to Paul and he's writing back to them about it. And then this motivation that we would, I think, maybe quickly read over, we don't want to miss. Do you see this at the end of verse 3? At the end of verse 3, I think is the gospel motivation behind this call to agree with one another, to deal with your conflict, to help people deal with their conflict. What's the motivation? Did you hear the good news at the end of verse 3? Look at it and smile. Whose, whose names are in the book of life. Right? Paul is reminding it, like, yeah, there's disagreement. You don't agree on everything, but we got to help each other. You know, here's the deal, church. Our names are written together in the book of life. Right? This is, this is good news. Now, if you want to know more of, of what he's talking about there, you'd have to turn to other spots in the Bible. Probably a couple of key ones would be the book of Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, and Revelation 17, verse 8, that tell us that there is this book of life, and that before the foundation of the world, the names of those who God would save by his grace through faith in Jesus were written in this book. You could also look at Luke chapter 10, verse 20, where Jesus tells his disciples not to get super excited about their fruitful ministry, because that's going to go up and down, but rejoice in this, that your names are written in the book of life, right? And so this is what draws this people together. This is why it's so important that as they labor side by side for the sake of the gospel, they get along with each other. They don't maybe agree on everything, but they help one another so that because they are having their names written in the Lamb's book of life together, they are working together for the sake of the gospel on mission together. And then Paul offers more commands. Now, your Bible might have a new paragraph. When Paul wrote the letter, he didn't write paragraphs. I wouldn't put the paragraph break right here. Um, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong and the people doing the translation were right, but I think verse 4 is pretty closely connected to the end of verse 3. Our names are in the book of life, and then this command in verse 4. So here's another command. First command was agree. Second command was help these women. Third command here is rejoice in the Lord always, and then he repeats it. Again, I say rejoice, and when I say repeat, he's already said it a number of times in the passage, or sorry, in the letter. Right? So we've already recognized as we've walked through this letter, rejoicing in the Lord is a key theme of this letter. And we see it again here in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I think that's connected to what he had just said. Our names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, keep in mind, Paul is writing this as a prisoner in Rome. He's writing to the church in Philippi that hasn't been a church without its problems, right? Yet he's calling them to rejoice in the Lord always. And he says it again. So in the midst of challenges, all kinds of them, including conflict, the church is a group of people who are commanded to rejoice in the Lord always. That's why it's good, even on the Sunday mornings when, when we're just like, I'm not sure that I want to get, like, I'm not sure that I have it in me. I'm weak, I'm weary. I've, I've fallen, I'm just, I'm lazy, whatever it might be. No, we come and we rejoice in the Lord together. Oh, that's just what we do. We rejoice in the Lord always. Again, Paul says it, rejoice. And then the next command, I think, goes with it as well. 
especially in the midst of conflict, I think this command is important. Look at verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That word could be translated in your translation also gentleness. Let your reasonableness be known to everybody. Up on the screen, I put on the bottom there, uh, from one of my kind of just linguistic key books, uh, helping us understand words that are harder and not used as much in Scripture. Here's what it said about that word. Here's what it means to let your reasonableness, that's a hard word to say, uh, be known to all. It says this, this word signifies a humble, patient steadfastness, which is able, listen to this, this is hard, which is able to submit to injustice disgrace and maltreatment without hatred and malice, trusting in God in spite of it all. Whew. That means when, when, somebody, when I have conflict with somebody and it's pretty clear to me that they're wrong or that the way that they're handling things is, is not right and it's hurtful to me, I'm supposed to still be gentle and reasonable? We'll work on some application of that here in a second. Um, maybe that's easy for you. Probably not. So the context there in verses 2 through the beginning of verse 5 is conflict. Let's work on a little bit of application. I think this sounds applicable. Right? In the midst of conflict, what are we to do as a church? I don't think it's all that different than what God called the church in Philippi to do through the Apostle Paul. In the midst of conflict, what should we do? Number one, reconcile with one another. Okay? What should we do? Reconcile with one another. That's what he's calling them to in verses 2 and 3. Like, agree in the Lord, and everybody else, help them. They've got this thing, and we got to figure it out, because it, we're gospel people, Right? Our names are in the book of life. We're laboring side by side for the gospel. We've got to get this figured out. Conflict doesn't work. That's a poor witness. Think about this. Isn't that a poor witness to the world around us when the church just lives in conflict with one another? And that's a poor witness. We've got to figure this out for the sake of our witness to others. But what if, church, what if the world out there saw in the church A people so committed to loving one another even when they don't agree on everything that we looked radically different from the rest of the world. What if whatever camp you put yourself in on whatever issue you seem passionate about, whether it's politics or masks or vaccinations or whatever you, like what what if we had different opinions about those things and we still loved each other? Oh, that'd be awesome. Not, the world doesn't do that. The church should do that. Our names are written in the book of life together, right? We can figure it out. We can have different opinions and love each other. Uh, number two, rejoice in the Lord always. What should the church do in the midst of conflict? Rejoice in the Lord always. What if, what if in the midst of conflict, even when life is inconvenient and hard and frustrating, what if we were the people who chose to rejoice in the Lord always? We were just known as that people. The people are just like, man, it's like, it's like they're, they're always 
joyful. They're not always happy. They're frustrated. They're sad. They're struggling. But there's some sort of deep joy in there. They're finding their joy. And like there's something different about those people. He is worthy of our rejoicing in him always, right? Whatever happens, let's find ways to do that individually, as families, as a church. And then number three, I'm just, I'm just walking through what Paul said to them because I don't have to make up new stuff. Be reasonable in the midst of conflict. Be reasonable in the midst of conflict. Anybody here honest enough to admit that you struggle to be reasonable and gentle in the midst of conflict? <laughs> okay, two people, only two people. Oh, we got a few more. Like, right? I feel like an auctioneer. Hip, hip, hip. We got them over here, right? That's us, isn't it? That, that, that when, when people disagree with us, especially if it's something that we're passionate about, we, man, it's hard to be reasonable and gentle all the time, especially if we don't feel like they're being reasonable and gentle. They're not being reasonable and gentle, so then I'm going to lose it too, right? Let your reasonableness be made known to all. And by the way, if you think like, if you, if you think like, no, I actually do a pretty good job of that, it's the other people that are always unreasonable, then you might be more unreasonable than you think. Like if you think you're always right and the other people are always wrong, you're wrong, right? What if though instead we did the hard work of trying to really understand people who thought differently than us? It's hard to be reasonable and gentle if we don't try to understand people who think differently than us, Right? What if we made a commitment, no matter how passionate we are, to respond to others with gentleness? I think that would be a great witness for the church to have to a, a weak and weary and struggling world who's sick of all sorts of stuff. What if we were different? I love in, in 1 Peter, you don't have to turn there, 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, yeah, he tells us to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Do you remember the rest of that verse? Yet do it with gentleness and respect, right? We, we, have, we have a hope that's different than the hope that a lot of people have, right? And be prepared to make a defense, but do it with gentleness and respect. I think that's helpful. I think that's convicting. And again, what's our motivation for all this? Our names are in the book of life together. Church, church, if that's you if, you, if you are the church, if you're part of the church, you've been bought by the blood of Jesus. We say as a church, one of the things we want to be molded by God's word and also motivated by God's glory. And the glory of God is seen most clearly in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of the gospel is this good news. God saves sinners, right? God saves sinners through the work of Christ. We who deserve God's judgment are saved by his grace. Our names written in the book of life, not based on our works, but based on the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And so, you, a question for you would be, do you trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior? That would be just a very basic question, because here's what scripture says about those whose names are not in the book of life. Verse 15 of Revelation chapter 20. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Right? That, that speaks to eternal destiny. We, we believe, that's a hard truth, but we believe it to be true. 
and it's not unjust of God. That is perfectly just of God to bring about eternal punishment to all who refuse to repent of sin and trust in Jesus. If you're wrestling with, uh, with, with just where you stand with Jesus, I would love to talk with you. Well, there's probably nothing more important that we could talk about. All right, so in the midst of conflict, there's some commands and there's this gospel hope. And then he turns to anxiety. Look at the end of verse 5 begins with a statement. The end of verse 5 begins with this statement, The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Just a reminder of the Lord's nearness. He's not some, some far away, far off God, but he wants to remind the church in Philippi, listen, the Lord is at hand. He's near to us. And then the command, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. You, you know the church in Philippi was made up of a whole bunch of people who didn't know the future? And when we don't know the future, when we don't know what's coming, it's super easy to get anxious. It's very natural, right? It wasn't any different in Philippi than it is in Iowa Falls today. We as humans are naturally anxious because we're limited. There's stuff that we're just not sure about and it makes us anxious. That was the same there in Philippi. But then God's command, and this isn't the only spot in Scripture that we see it, God's command here is don't be anxious about anything. Okay, well, how, how are they to battle anxiety? That's what comes next. Look at verse 6 again. Do not be anxious about anything, but so to do something else. So being anxious is what is natural to us. Don't do that. Do this instead. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How, do, how, do we, how does the church in Philippi battle anxiety? Prayer with thanksgiving. Prayer of supplication, of bringing your requests before God with thanksgiving, right? So, so, so a thankful kind of prayer is one of the primary weapons that we use in the fight against anxiety. Remember, I, I actually preached on this like four weeks ago when I had just, after, like we had to kind of pause for a week. And so I'd just been preaching on something God was teaching me. So God's been working this kind of stuff in me for a while when I preached on Luke chapter 12 a few weeks ago. And there, when Jesus says, don't be anxious, what he says to do instead is to consider some things. Consider the lilies, right? Consider that. Remember that? Here, it's pray with thanksgiving. One of the ways that we battle anxiety is through prayer. That's been happening a lot in our house just this last week. Battling anxiety with prayer. Remember what Jesus said in that passage we looked at in Luke 12? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Right? Anybody, like, have you ever accomplished a whole lot by worrying? No, like we can't. We can't accomplish stuff by worrying. That's why Matt Chandler, a pastor down in Texas, he says worrying is like trying to travel in a rocking chair. Right? Like, well, I'm doing something. Just not getting anywhere, right? That's why Martin Luther said, pray and let God worry, right? Like, so, so here's the deal. Worrying doesn't accomplish anything, but prayer does, right? Worrying doesn't accomplish anything, but prayer does. 
we can't control the future, but when we pray, we talk to the God who does control the future. Right? We don't know the future, but when we pray, we're talking to the God who does know the future. And it's true that prayer both changes things and changes us. So, Paul calls the church in the midst of anxiety to battle that with thankful prayer. And then there's a result, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When the church in Philippi battles anxiety with, by praying with thanksgiving, they will experience the peace of God that guards their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. Because anxiety is something that, that affects kind of all parts of us, right? It's fueled by our thinking, and it affects how we're feeling, right, to our hearts. It affects even what we do. And so what the church in Philippi needs is, instead of anxiety, the peace of God, right? The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Like how in the midst of what you're dealing with can you have peace? Uh, we don't totally get it. It surpasses understanding. But the peace of God can come and guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul tells them there in Philippi. There's two more verses and then some application. Verse 8. Verse 8 really addresses the mind. Okay, Again, I probably wouldn't put a new paragraph here. I think this is really closely tied to what he just said. The idea of our hearts and minds being, being guarded with the peace of God in Christ Jesus. In verse 8, there's a command, but it comes after a whole string of other things. Do you Look at the very end of verse 8. Let's look at the end first. There's a command. Think about these things. Think about these things. Okay? You think about stuff all the time. Uh, like, and I remember trying to do this as a kid. I'm going to try not to think about anything right now. You can't. Like, you can't not think about anything, right? You're always thinking about something. Well, well part of how we battle anxiety and part of what we're called to, part of what the church in Philippi was called to, is to think about certain things. Like, rather than just allowing all sorts of thoughts to pop into your mind and letting those kind of like spin out of control, part of how we battle anxiety is, is we, we, we focus our thinking on certain things. Think about these things, okay? So it's a command about what to think about. What does he call the church in Philippi to think about? Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. When we're anxious, all the what-ifs and all the bad stuff kind of pops into our minds. And Paul says, no, no, you, you take control of, of your thinking and you think about these things instead. Yes, our world is broken. Yes, not everything is perfect in Philippi, just like not everything is perfect in Rome, just like not everything is perfect in Iowa Falls or Alden or wherever you live. It's not. It's not. But are there things that are good and pure and true and honorable and commendable and worthy of praise? Yes. Think about these things. And then verse 9. More on that in the application here in just a second. Verse 9 says this. What you have learned and received, and heard, and seen in me. 
Paul, remember, had spent time with them, some life-on-life discipleship. They had, they had not just heard some things from him, they had learned, they had received some things, they heard some things, and they saw some things. A certain way of Paul living. In light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul lived in a certain way. And he's saying, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So again, ending with this, with this great promise of God's peace. So before it said the peace of God will be with you, and now it says the God of peace will be with you. Don't we need both, right? We need the peace of God to be with us, and we need the God of peace to be with us. The world might be against Paul, and the world might be against the church in Philippi, but in the midst of their anxiety, Paul tells them, you need to know this truth. The God of peace is with you, right? That's good news. And again, does this seem applicable to us at all? Yeah. Yeah, it does. So let's just close with some application before we sing together. I mentioned how practically helpful this passage was for my family just this week. How do we battle anxiety? Well, according to this passage, number one, we pray with thanksgiving. Anxiety is a feeling, but it's fueled by our thinking. It's it's thinking about all the what-ifs. Those things just pop into our minds. Don't even know where they come from. And we need our hearts and our minds to be guarded against anxiety and filled with peace. Maybe maybe kids, maybe parents, maybe teachers, as school comes, you're, you're just anxious about it. Right? Brings about anxiety. That's something that really brings about anxiety for a lot of people. Right? I don't know how, how things are going to go with all my classmates. I don't know my teacher. I don't know, like, I'm going to homeschool again. How am I supposed to, like, take care of my family? and pay? Like, all these different things, right? Easy to become anxious. What do we do in response to that? How do we battle against it? We pray with Thanksgiving. That's why we're doing that next week, Sunday, 4 o'clock. Just come. You don't even have to pray out loud. You don't have to pray out loud. Just be with other people and we'll just pray with thanksgiving. We battle anxiety in that way. Number two, think about what is good, true, and beautiful, even in our broken world. Man, we could spend an hour walking through verse eight. This is good. You know what we did? So, so when we moved into our house, it had this kind of like big built-in entertainment center. And for, for the longest time, for a number of years, we didn't have a, a TV and certainly nothing that would fit in this. We had, we had a TV that was like about this big. Uh, and the, the hole <laughs> in our house is like this big. What we put in there instead was uh, this little thing that has Philippians 4.8 on it. Kind of a, to remind us of like, you know what? What we would normally look at on a screen is usually not what is true and commendable and pure, you know, uh, worthy of praise. And so, so rather than spending all of my time, you know, whether it's looking at a TV screen or my phone screen, like you're not going to, like a lot of, look, just compare what you're looking at there to what you see in verse 8, just to do something really practical. Do, does your time spent on your phone or looking at some other screen, does that help you think about what is true, what is commendable, what is worthy of, pra- like, does it, does it help you with that or not? And maybe it does. There are some ways, certainly. I'm not saying, like, so there are some ways that it does that, but there's a lot of ways that it doesn't. And so if we're commanded to think about these things here, and that brings our mind to a different place, well, then why are we doing that? That's not going to help me think about these things. So, so we need to 
determine what do I need to think about and what am I going to fill my mind with because I need to fill my mind with truth if I'm going to think about true things. I need to be looking at excellent and pure things if I want my mind to be filled with pure things. If I want to battle all those other things that pop into my mind, I need to have my mind filled with other things. So think about these things. Think about what is good, true, and beautiful. And then number three, practice a different kind of living. Practice a different kind of living. It's super easy to just blend in with the world. Like I think kids, you're going to feel that more when you go back to school now. Maybe you haven't been around a lot of people uh, for like, like people your own age for a long time. And now you go back to school, it's super easy and it feels better to just like blend in with everybody else. It does. Adults, you haven't grown out of it yet, right? Isn't it so much easier at work and wherever we are, just blend in with everybody else? But one of the things that we want to do as a church is we want to find ways that we can get together that we might learn and receive and hear and see. Just like in verse 9 here, the church in Philippi had learned and heard and received and seen in Paul a different way of living. So one of the reasons we have Awana, one of the reasons we have youth groups, one of the reasons we meet in life groups and Bible, like we do all that stuff, not to insulate ourselves from the world, but so that we can learn together how to, how to live in this world and how to have an impact on this world. So we get together for small amounts of time so that we're equipped to go out for the, for the rest of time and live in a different kind of way, right? So Paul says, practice these things. And then we do all this, of course, with this great reminder that the God of peace is with us. That wasn't just true for the church in Philippi, right? The God of peace is with us. We need to be reminded of that while the whole world around us is in conflict and intention all the time and anxious about it. Like, why are we at peace? It's because the God of peace is with us, right? The God of peace is with us. How do we have the God of peace with us? Just a couple of of, of verses just to read from Romans 5 1. I love this verse. Why do we have peace with God? Why is the God of peace with us? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our peace with God comes through faith in Jesus. And then this reminder from Jesus himself in John 14. Listen to this good news. These things, Jesus is talking to his disciples. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Notice that, the connection between Jesus, his disciples are wondering, how is this going to go when you're gone? We need you with us. And Jesus reminds them, no, it's going to be way better. Because Jesus in his earthly body was only in one place at one time. But he's going to send the Holy Spirit that will dwell in all believers. The Holy Spirit who dwells in you believers. Church, that the God of peace, how do we have peace? God himself, the God of peace, dwells within us. God of peace is with us. This is, this is really good news. So, wrapping it up. Church, in the midst of conflict, let's be a people who reconcile with one another, who rejoice in the Lord always, and who let our reasonableness be known to all. And we'll do this because our names are written in the book of life. Church, 
in the midst of anxiety. Let's be a people who pray with thanksgiving, who think about what is good and true and beautiful, and who learn to practice a different kind of living together. And we do this because of the very good news that our God is with us and for us. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, I'm just thankful for your word and for your people and for the opportunity we've had this morning to gather around it. We don't want it to fall uh, and not accomplish its purpose. And I thank you that you've promised us that your word won't do that. So I pray now that you would through your word that's hopefully been uh, understood a bit better because of the preaching, that, that you would help us to be obedient even as we rejoice in the great truths that we've seen here in this passage. That for all of us who are in Christ, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That for all of us who trust in Christ, we can know that our names have been written in the book of life. And that for all of us who trust in Christ, we can know that you, the God of peace, is with us. So we are delighted to be able to sing together this truth that you, God, are not only with us, but you are for us. When the enemy would have us believe uh, and be stuck on our unworthiness, help us to be reminded also of your grace and kindness to us in Christ and the love of Jesus that we cannot be separated from. God, we're really thankful for that. Help us to sing as a response and to live as a response to that work that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys stand one more time.